Welcome to The Cutting Floor, a weekly mini-podcast of West Cannon Baptist Church. Each week we'll be looking at topics and questions coming from the Sunday morning sermon passage that didn't make it into the sermon or that were worth looking at further. In other words, what was left on the cutting floor. I'm Emily and with me is Pastor Zach. On Sunday you introduced our new study in Genesis called Foundations and we looked at the first part of Genesis 1-1 and the God who is there. On Sunday, you mentioned some people do not agree that Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Why is it important that Moses is the author? I think there's a couple of reasons why we need to hold on to the idea of Moses being the author. And uh, one of which is the very question of how we're going to read our Bibles. So in science, we have this theory of naturalism, which means that Scientists, many of them, uh, look for natural explanations to things like how the universe got started or how the processes that we see in the world today are naturally reoccurring. In other words, naturalism denies God's existence and tries to think about the world just from nature's perspective. There's something like that that happens in the world of understanding the scriptures. When commentators or Textual critics will look at the biblical text and they'll look at things in it and say, well, Moses could not have known that. Or Moses couldn't have written an account that was this sophisticated. Or there's details here, a way of writing that that must have come later. That was more typical of the prophetic period or or things like that. It's a naturalistic way of looking at the text because it denies the divine author who is inspiring the text. I call it textual naturalism. When we read the book of Genesis or any other account in Scripture, we need to remember that behind the human author is the divine author who is preserving the personality of the human author, in this case Moses, but he is also being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so when there are things that we read in Scripture that surprise us, we need to remember it's not just the human author that's writing, it's also the human author writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So how we read our Bibles is at stake when we begin to question whether or not uh, Moses could have written this because it seems like there's more there than he could have known. Of course there is. Another thing I'd say, though, is that um, neglecting the Mosaic authorship of Genesis calls into question the, the very purpose of the book of Genesis. Like I talked a little bit about on Sunday, Moses is writing during the wilderness wanderings to the young generation of Israel uh, that is preparing to go into the land of promise. He's writing their history for them. He's also preserving for them an understanding of their future. Why is this land the promised land? Why Why do they need to go into it? So we lose the understanding that we have of the purpose of the book of Genesis if Moses isn't actually the author, if this book was written later, if it was written during the exilic period or, or by the prophets later on, then we no longer have an understanding of the original intention of the book and the primary audience that it was written for. Then the last thing I'll say is that I believe the trustworthiness and the accuracy of the account of Genesis is compromised in some way if it was written at a substantially later date. In other words, if the writings of Genesis took place during the exilic period or during the prophetic period later on, we're moving further and further and further away from eyewitness accounts of what really happened. And and we'll recall from reading Genesis and then later on Exodus, Moses has a unique relationship with God. 
He spends a lot of time up on the mountain. He goes into the tent of meeting where the pillar comes down and, and rests on the tent and Moses comes out with a shining face. Moses has more direct revelation from God than almost anyone else in all of the Old Testament. And so he has a certain level of, of, um, of trust when it comes to conveying what happened in the very beginning because he was receiving these directly from these interactions with God. So if we begin to push the authorship back to some sort of compilation of authors that were writing later far, far removed from the historical events that Genesis described, I think we, we lose some of the historical accuracy of the text. And, and unsurprisingly, that's exactly what happens. The commentators who don't believe that Moses actually wrote the book of Genesis also tend to be the same commentators who doubt whether or not the events that are described in Genesis are actual historical accounts of events that really happened. And I don't think that's surprising. You also mentioned this sermon series will go through five major movements throughout the book of Genesis, creation, corruption, judgment, promise, and plan. And you mentioned that Moses uses the phrase, these are the generations of, to signal he's going to change the scene in the narrative. Can you explain this more? Moses uses a word, uh, the toldot is what they're called or referred to as, and they're translated in our Bibles, these are the generations of. And it's usually the introductory comment to a genealogy. We're often tempted when we read through the book of Genesis to skip over these frequent genealogies that occur because one, they're filled with hard to pronounce names, and secondly, we don't see a lot of present value to us in what seem to be these long family records. But Moses is actually using those genealogies as a signal to the reader that he's now moving to the next phase or the next act in the drama. It's how he moves the narrative along. I mentioned all of that in the sermon on Sunday. What I wanted to additionally touch on is that as you read through the book of Genesis, you'll notice that there are more than five of these genealogies. And you're going to read more than five times, these are the generations of. A couple of things I want to say about that. Number one, um, there is more to the structure of Genesis than just the five movements that we're going to be looking at as the main organizing structure to the book. If you think about an outline, you might have five major points on an outline, but then have multiple subpoints. Same thing in the book of Genesis. There are five genealogies that are really critically important. And I'd say that they're critically important, one, because of some things that we see in the literary structure of the book itself, but also they are the genealogies that are in what we call the line of promise. So we're going to see when we get to Genesis chapter 3 that God makes a promise after the fall of man that there are going to be these two lines. There's going to be the the seed of the serpent, and then there's going to be the seed of the woman, the seed of promise, that the seed of the woman is going to eventually come and crush the head of the serpent. And then through the rest of the book of Genesis, there are these different lines that are being traced. But one of the lines, the family lines, is that line of promise. And that genealogy is the critical genealogy that is moving the narrative forward. And so those five genealogies that we're going to be looking at that essentially introduce the five movements of the book, that's why we've broken it down into those particular genealogies. So you're going to see that phrase more often. You're going to see genealogies more often than just five times. But there are really those five critical developments in the narrative, creation, corruption, judgment, promise, plan. That's the organizing structure that Moses has for the book of Genesis. 
If you have any questions from the sermon or the sermon passage that you would like to have answered on the podcast, please email them by 8 a.m. on Tuesday mornings to questions at westcanon.org. We'll see you next week.